The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
I was there when they crucified my Lord. It was my sin that crucified him. It was my love of darkness. It was me. And it was you. It was our sin that put him on the cross. He bore our sin. I rested well last night. I was extremely tired. But I again woke up about 4 a.m. I got up. And after some time, decided I would go back and lay down for a short time before it was time to get up and begin preparation for the broadcast. Quickly as I began to drift off, I had a dream. I want to share that dream with you. I dreamed I was digging in soil, a wooded area. I was digging consciously for treasure. I have a a vivid imagination of finding a treasure. I've always wanted since I was a child to find a treasure map. So I was digging with my bare hands lest I damage something. And as I got down in the soft forest soil, about eight inches, my hands suddenly felt something. It was a beautiful gem. I cleaned the the soil off of it shined it on my shirt. I looked at it. It was beautiful. Sparkled like the sun. And in the spirit, in the dream, I heard one word. Atonement. I put the stone in my pocket And I continued digging. And very quickly I saw something. And I very carefully dug it out of the soil. It was a knife. And again I heard the word spoken by the Spirit. He said, The knife of obedience. And I woke up. And I began to pray. Indeed, the atonement is a gem of great price. Remember the man who found the treasure in the field and dug it up, sold all that he had and bought the field and the treasure? Or the man who always wanted a beautiful pearl, and so he sold all that he had when he found the right pearl, and he bought the pearl. The atonement of Jesus on that cross was for you and for me, and it is a treasure. It is everything. We love the treasure we're a little more uncomfortable. No, we're very uncomfortable with the knife. Because the knife means cutting. The knife means surgery. And Jesus called it the knife of obedience. Obedience to the word of God 
obedience to the Spirit of God is the only thing that God will use to cut the flesh of the world from us. I said yesterday, I am nothing and I have nothing. Some of you were shocked as I said I quit. Some of you were upset with me. I've had quite a number of varying responses. One man said, I'm traumatized by your messages. I understand I am too. I listened to a man last night as he spoke most eloquently about the serpents in the desert and about the snake, the bronze snake that was put on a pole. Now, this man changed the story just a bit, but in a very major way. He said they were told to look at the serpent and the snakes would not bite them. That is not what they were told. They were told to look at the serpent and they would not die. They would be healed. And then this very famous, well-known Christian theologian spoke most eloquently about how Jesus on the cross took the place of sinner man. It was very intellectual, articulate, enjoyable to listen to. But he had absolutely no spiritual power. All of the power that he had was in the power of the human words and concepts and ideas. Now, unfortunately, this is the condition we face today. The church in America wants inspirational words. They want to learn important truths. They want to uncover all kinds of new insights into the scripture. All without the knife of obedience. All without a radical understanding of their utter worthlessness. Jesus said, the flesh counts for nothing. But for us, we have put our entire store of value in the flesh. That's an empty glass that will cause us to die of thirst, and it is causing the American church in its apostate condition to die of thirst. There was a woman right in the midst of this John 7 and 8 account of conflict with the flesh of the Pharisees. There is this account in John the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 1. He'd been teaching in the, in the temple. And as he finished teaching for the evening, each went to his own home. None of them invited Jesus to go with them to their home. He went to the Mount of Olives where he was going to sleep outside. Bottom line, he was going to spend the night primarily in prayer and supplication before the Father. And at dawn, he walked down to the temple courts. 
people were gathering for the morning sacrifice. As the people saw him, they began to gather around him to see what he would say. And as he began to teach them, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a struggling woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. I'm sure her hair was going every which direction. She was probably just wrapped in a blanket. She was ashamed, self-conscious, and desperately afraid that they were going to stone her publicly as the law stated they should do. They literally caught her in the act of adultery. They pulled her from the bed of her sin. And they came to Jesus and asked him, in the law of Moses, we were condemned to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were trying to find a way to trap him in order to accuse him before the Roman authorities. Jesus did not answer. Instead, he bent down and he began to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and began to write again on the ground, in the dirt, in the dust. I don't know what Jesus wrote, but obviously what he wrote exposed their flesh, exposed their sin, exposed their unbelief, their wicked hearts. What would Jesus need to write in the dust that would cause you to say, oh, I'd better get out of here. I'm going to be exposed. What are the secrets of your heart, of your life, of your flesh that you would not want anyone to know or to see? I don't know what he wrote, but I do know what he wrote brought shame to the hearts of the people who saw what he was writing. And knowing Jesus, it was probably very specific, perhaps names, amounts of money stolen. They quickly saw that Jesus knew everything about them, and they ran from him. Now, They began, the eldest first, to leave. They wanted nothing more to do with this situation. They saw that they were going to be exposed and embarrassed. And finally, Jesus is left alone. The woman is standing there trembling, terrified before him, waiting for the judge to make his pronouncement upon her life, to live or die. Jesus straightened up. He asked this woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So he is giving her a head start On his atonement. It is the atonement that delivers us from the consequence of our sin. She is delivered. But then he makes this statement, now leave your life of sin. Suddenly now he's saying the knife of obedience has to cut into your sexual wickedness. We don't know what happened to this woman. 
We don't know if she ran back, found her lover, and climbed in bed with him and held him tight and said, We have to be more careful, honey. I could have died today. I don't know what she did. I hope that what she did was recognize the nothingness of her life, the wickedness of her own heart, and that she did not go back to her lover, but instead went to a safe place with safe people, and there confessed her sin and told what Jesus had done for her. But you see, in the modern church, we've taken the atonement, but we refuse the knife of obedience. So we continue to walk in our wicked ways, in our flesh, in the good of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And the knife of obedience never accomplishes its work in our hearts because we refuse to submit to it. We love our life too much to surrender it. And part of what I have recognized is that God has been using that knife of obedience to cut away the ground of my very being. Until now, I'm down to a very small space, and even that space, I have said to the Lord, cut it all away. I'm finished. I quit. I do not want my self-life. I want you. I want to be filled with your presence. I don't want my life anymore. It is useless to me. You see, usually we speak about, I need more of Jesus and less of me. Or we need more of God, but less of me. Please hear me when I say to you that that's a lie. We do not need more of God. We do not need more of Jesus. We need all of Jesus and none of me. We need all of Jesus, none of me. I want to take you over here to the book of Romans again. Shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, or absolutely no. Strongest possible Greek formation. No. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Please. He's not playing games with words. He's saying, look. You have to die to this flesh world. You have to die to being a Republican or a Democrat. You have to die to being on the left or the right. I'm not on the left and I'm not on the right. And I'm not an independent. I'm a Christian. I don't want to go right or left. I want to go up. I want to go to be with God. He holds my heart. He's all I want. I don't want my life. I cast it away like a filthy rag. I don't want it. I want Jesus. Listen. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his Death? Oh, so part of you is still alive? You're still walking in human wisdom? You're still 
bottom line, in charge of yourself and your own desires and your own life, and I have been that. And there has been a core of unbelief in my heart that I can survive if I cast myself fully into Jesus. I can't survive financially. I can't survive physically. I can't survive emotionally. I can't survive if I cast myself out. What will I do if I'm not in charge of even a little place in my heart? That's why yesterday I said, I quit. If I die, I die. It's okay. If I'm homeless on the street, it's all right. If I go about in rags, it's okay. If I have no car to drive, it's all right. I will receive only from Jesus' hand what he chooses to give me, whether that be prosperity or poverty, whether that be health or cancer. Whatever he chooses to give me, I will praise him and rejoice in him because my life is over. I'm done. I quit. I quit Ray Greenley. I'm not interested in his life anymore. A man texts me this morning. I'm going to try to listen to my wife. She has a lot of hurts. But she won't listen to my hurts. And when I say to her, how about if we listen to both of our hurts? She gets angry. I wrote to him and I said, why don't you just try forgetting entirely about yourself and focus on loving your wife? Oh, do you know how hard it is? I don't speak lightly or in a cavalier manner. Do you know how hard it is to just forget about ourselves? To just forget about yourself. That's been very hard for me. This is the only life I get. This is my life. We're talking about my lifestyle, my my food, my drink, my car, my house. We're talking about me. And Jesus says, Ray, you have to be crucified or you can't come to heaven with me. The flesh counts for nothing. Oh, really? What I have valued counts for nothing? My accomplishments count for nothing? My hard work counts for nothing? My sacrifice accounts for nothing? Really? Yes. It was not me who died on the cross. It was Jesus. It was not me. It was Jesus. Will you forget about your stuff and your pain and your anguish and your heart, will you forget about you and let Jesus be everything for you? Cut the ground of your life out from under yourself and say, I will live for Jesus. Now, the hard part is that we Americans in the American church have thought, oh, Jesus is so wonderful. I accept his atonement. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm waiting for Jesus to come and get me and take me to a nicer place. You will not go to that better place if the knife of obedience is not used in your life to cut the flesh off. And that's a choice you have to make. Will you forget about yourself? Will you forget about your wisdom 
and what you've paid and what you've done and what you want to do, will you forget about yourself and let Jesus be everything for you? I'll read it for you. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, this is Romans 6, 3, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, not a life in the flesh, a life in the spirit. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been free from sin. But see, we in the American church don't want to be free from sin. We want the atonement and we want the good American life. No. So I say to you, I am nobody. I have nothing. What am I saying? I'm saying the same thing that Paul said in Romans, the seventh chapter where he said, no good thing dwells in my flesh. It has to go. Everything Paul said he had was found in Jesus Christ, not in the football game, not in the Rams, not in the football game. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked by people, did you see the Super Bowl on Sunday? And I say, no, I'm not interested in the Super Bowl. And then they've tried to explain to me why I should be so excited about the Super Bowl. And I say to them, I'm not interested in the Super Bowl. Why? Because my life is not here. My life is in heaven. My life is with Jesus. He is all I desire. This coming from a man who used to hold big Super Bowl parties at his house. Dismissed church early so we could all get to the Super Bowl game. Stupidity wickedness, sin. Listen. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That was that gap that I was speaking about yesterday. That space between when we use the knife in the spirit to cut off the flesh until the Spirit comes and moves in. There's a period of time to see if we're really serious and if we've really cut off the flesh. I tell you, after yesterday's broadcast, every power of demons came after me to accuse me, to challenge me, to condemn me, They were right. I am nothing and I have nothing. And I said to them, I've said the same about myself. But Jesus has something else to say about me. He has claimed me as his own. And I am crucified with Christ. And they left Now, that's not an intellectual, psychological answer. That's an answer 
in reality, in the way I behave and what I think, what I believe, how I use my time and my money and my energy. Some of you today are in a very painful and difficult place. Will you give your pain to Jesus? Will you give your fear and your depression to Jesus? Will you give your sickness to Jesus? Will you give your money to Jesus? Will you give your husband, your wife to Jesus and forget about yourself and stop defending your little kingdom? Will you cancel your little kingdom and cast it off and put it all in Jesus' hands? says, we know that Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to our sin, to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin or quit. That's what I said yesterday. I quit. I quit maintaining my little space. I'm done with it. Some of you, you like to edge along. I'll, I'll cut that little bit of my, my world off, but I'll keep this and this and this and, and it still gives me room to function and operate. No, cut it all off now. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In what way is it evil? It's evil in that it is about you. It is about promoting your comfort. It is about promoting your life. It is about promoting your standing. It's about you being important. It's about you having your enjoyment. It's about you having your luxury. It's about you. Everything about you has to be put in Jesus' hands. That's what the crucifixion is. It's giving up your life. Now, some of you have said these messages have been very painful and difficult for you. They have been for me too. One person said, Pastor, I've never heard anybody talk like this before. Well, I haven't either. And that's only because we're in the modern age. But if I go look at some of the old timers... This isn't new theology. This is what they taught. Absolute surrender. Absolute submission to Jesus Christ. A total giving up of self. A total denial of self. Taking up the cross. Entering into intense prayer and scripture and service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We know nothing about that in this modern age in America we could speak with some of our Chinese brothers and sisters, we'd find out this is how they live. They live only to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They don't reserve for themselves some space where they can be comfortable. It's all given to Jesus. And they're beaten, murdered, 
put in jail for long periods of time, where they love their jailer. Someone suggested to me, you know, this is really all about love. Well, you know what? It really is all about love. But I said to them, love is a byproduct. What is love a byproduct of? Of the knife of obedience cutting to the very heart and piercing the heart of the flesh. Love does not flow in our hearts until the flesh is out of the way because the flesh is sentimental and wants for itself a wonderful life and wants to be loved. And if you don't love me the way I want to be loved, I'm out of here. I'm angry. Such utter foolishness and shallowness. Sentimentality. Love is not about sentimentality. Love is about laying my life down for another person. Love is about an action, not a feeling. A feeling will come, but it's a secondary feeling. It's a, it's a product of our love for others and for God. And it only comes through the atonement into the knife of obedience that pierces the heart of the human flesh. The scriptures say it a little differently. They say we're circumcised by Jesus himself. What is circumcision? Circumcision is that sign that a man can produce nothing without the power of God. The flesh is dead. Abraham and Sarah had a child called Laughter. How did they have that child? Supernaturally. And there was a period of time between Abraham going to the maiden, the Egyptian maiden that Sarah gave to him to produce Ishmael, a donkey of a man. There's a gap there where finally God said, okay, now, birth laughter. I'm in that that gap. I haven't birthed laughter yet, but I will. But I quit my own life. I'm done with it. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he he lives, he lives for God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. That is, use the knife of obedience, to cut the very heart out of your wickedness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, you're under grace. If we go back to John, And I want to do that very quickly. Jesus said, the spirit gives life. This is the sixth chapter, verse 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. 
Yet there are some of you who do not believe. You see, it is a matter of believing or unbelief. It is a matter of knowing that if you give yourself utterly into the hand of God, he will carry you. It is a matter of believing that you now choose to only receive from the hand of God what he chooses to give you. You will not go out and create your own reality. You will not go get the job of your dreams. You will not go get the house of your dreams. You will not go get the car of your dreams. You won't go get the wife of your dreams. But you will instead wait upon the Lord. And you will walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 66 From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? By his answer, you know immediately that he had been, and they had been talking about, shall we leave? And they finally came to their senses and said, where are we going to go? I mean, Peter had left everything. He left the family fishing team. He he left his wife. She was at home with the with mom. He was out on the road. What's he going to do? Is he going to go back and say, I discovered he was false? No, he knows Jesus is not false, but it is such a knife to his heart. And so he answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and I know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you know there's such a difference between believing and allowing the knife of obedience to do its work in your heart? That knife has to pierce your heart. And you have to come to a place where you recognize you are nothing And you have nothing. And don't say to me, oh, I have Jesus. No, you don't really have Jesus if you still have the ground of your own life. We're called to totally give that up and cut it off and walk in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. It means a submission and a humility beyond anything I have experienced or beyond anything you have experienced. The power of God in revival is not going to come to people who still have their place and they're still maintaining their life. Do you want Jesus today? Then use the knife of obedience. It's not by works, it's by faith. Well, we're out of time. We're more than halfway through the month. And I need to hear from many of you. For we are far, far, far from having the money to pay for the radio. I think many have said, no, we're not going to listen to this pastor anymore. But if you've listened and it has been helpful to you, then I ask, would you respond with your tithes and offerings? Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. 
I also invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. And there you'll find this broadcast on YouTube and many other broadcasts. And I invite you to come and worship with us this coming Sunday. Look on the webpage, you'll find where we're at. If your heart is hungry for Jesus, God bless you. I love you. Dear believer, I love you. I pray for you.